We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, this is John McKechnie, and welcome into the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Today, we are going to be breaking down the NFL Combine. It kicks off next week on March 1st. We're going to run through some fantasy-relevant prospects that are going to be participating, and we're going to break down what we're looking for from the events in Indianapolis. Let's start the show. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast. Uh, joined as always by Mario Puig, or at least I think I am. Mario seems to have dropped for just a second. Mario, do I have you back? Yeah, sorry about that. I, my screen died. Oh, no. all good there. So if, you, if you're watching, you know that's that's how the sausage is made. But anyway, this is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. Mario, how are you doing on this Friday? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, snowed a lot here, so that's mostly what I'm thinking about. What about you? Uh, all good. Um, you know, it's been an exciting week for for me personally. Um, you know, award winning with... <laughs> uh, podcast host, radio host, and writer editor. I wear John. a lot of hats. You know, <laughs> that's all you can really say about that. I have a, a big hat collection. Um, but yeah, that was exciting stuff. When we pushed the, I was looking forward to doing the pod yesterday to just kind of distract myself because, because you know, it, they were announcing it like right around the time that we were going to be finishing up, um, <laughs> usually on Thursday. So I was like looking for that as a distraction, but uh, I was, uh, you know, ha- had to just kind of like trim yeah, myself my and not, not look at Twitter too, too much. I managed to destroy my internet right when we were about to broadcast, so, uh... I tried again before this show, apparently, too, but it, the computer survived. There we go. Excellent. Well, why don't we go ahead and dive in here? Uh, so the Combine kicks off, uh, like, I, like I said at the top of the show, on Tuesday. Um, we're going to have the quarterbacks, receivers, and tight ends. Uh, they will be working out on Thursday, Mar- uh, March 3rd. Uh, the running backs will be working out on Friday. So a lot of good stuff to, to kind of finish out your work week next week. Um, but let's kick things off with, with the quarterbacks. It, a lot is constantly being made of, you know, the, the, the perceived lack of top end talent at the quarterback position in this draft. It seems like after senior bowl week, Malik Willis is in the driver's seat to be the first 
quarterback off the board um, in a couple of months here. But beyond him, and we'll start with him, actually, and move on to some other quarterbacks that you're looking out for. But what does Willis, what can he do in your mind to, to kind of further solidify his status as that QB1 in this class? Well, it'd be good if he could run and jump well at the combine and ideally be more than something like, you know, 218, ideally 225 or something like that. If he, if his frame could somehow fit it on, he's only like six one, I guess. So mm-hmm. he's not going to be as heavy as a guy who's six, three or six, four, but if he can just have a dense build for his height, then also run really good numbers with the 40, um, I guess those, those agility drills are worth something too. I I don't make it, I don't mean make it sound like it's only the forty that counts, but I I do like to see that one be good and I, some combination of standout testing. You know, like a, I'm I tend to look at things like if a guy is very fast and also ha- and has poor agility testing or whatever, then I I'm willing to look over it and just kind of say like, eh. even even if he isn't exactly quick, the the standout speed stands out enough that I can overlook it. And also I have corollary. Yeah. And when, when a guy has a really good uh, 40 time or any particular number and then bad testing, otherwise it's, it's also a case like that where you would sooner wonder, did he just have a bad day testing? I mean, what are the odds that this guy who is so fast apparently can't run in a, you know, a diagonal line or something like it's just especially when you're on the field where there aren't cones and you don't have a stopwatch and it's just you you evade people it's like usually the the standout athletic trait whatever it is 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 enough to carry them a little bit especially if they're well built um so yeah i would like to see with that said willis test well in as many things as possible because his rushing detail is crucial for the nfl and i dismissed willis too quickly previously just because some of his passing numbers and tape at liberty were really really brutal um but you know with josh allen having really brutal tape at wyoming and really brutal numbers at wyoming but still turning out to be an nfl star it showed how an exception to that rule can occur and best as we can tell or best i can tell with allen the way the exception occurred with him is having you know top 99th percentile tools uh, the, the arm strength and the running ability to to just threaten vertically with the arm and threaten underneath with the running ability and uh also uh to be fair to alan bad as he was at wyoming he had a bad offensive line uh, especially that last year after uh after like tanner gentry and uh oh, sure. Aaron were gone then he then he was really left with some bums there so um willis might have had something similar to that at liberty the one thing I'll say is uh, Conference USA or wherever Liberty plays does not have defenses like the Mountain West did back when Allen was there. So it's not it's not quite as quick of an excuse. But yeah, they, play, if they I, played, I believe, like the weakest schedule on balance this year because they're, they're an independent. And oh, independent. They just, oh, man. Yeah. So they don't I think their only power five t- uh, games this year were like Syracuse and Ole Miss, if I, if I remember right. Like everything else was kind of cakewalky. Yeah, and even with that being the case, Liberty got sacked 52 times in 13 games last year. So uh, this is if there was one thing in particular that I was missing with Willis all that time, it was the degree to which he was effective as a runner. Because when you adjust his stats for the NCAA, adding carry attempts for each sack and subtracting the yardage distance of each sack from his rushing yardage total, it looks like Willis was basically 
averaging right under 100 yards game per rush. Uh, uh, sorry, 100 yards rushing per game and about at least eight yards a carry. So it, if you look now, it'll say 4.5 yards per carry because they subtracted the sack yardage. But if you count the stats the way the NFL will, he probably averaged more like eight yards a carry, even with pretty big volume. And particularly if Willis tests really well at the combine with his running and jumping, even from day one in the NFL, he might be like the second most dangerous runner at quarterback after Lamar Jackson, which that's not enough to necessarily make him a good starting quarterback in the NFL. But if a bad passer is going to succeed in the NFL at quarterback, being anywhere near Lamar Jackson as a runner is a, is a good start. Yeah, I think I think you have that absolutely nailed. Um, as far as Willis and, and like you said, that the standout trait with him that that athleticism. He's also got a, a very good arm. Uh, yeah, what I've seen. So. And people seem to love him. I guess I guess part of um, his ascent at the Senior Bowl wasn't even necessarily so much the the play on the pe- the field. It was just like the the coaches, players working with him were like you know it, kind of like the Cam Newton Lamar Jackson thing where just guys are like, hey, I want I want him on my side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's obviously a, a good mark in his favor as well. Um, when you look at at who tends to come next in, in a lot of rankings and, and mocks, you know the 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 tier with Sam Howell, Kenny Pickett, and so on. How do you see that that uh, Matt Corral? How do you see those guys kind of separating themselves that, uh, this coming week? <clears throat> so, I don't think I was wrong to dismiss. Matt Corral because he does not have quite the frame and the tools that Willis. He's too skinny. Like he's right. He's six two. He's barely over 200 pounds. And I mean, I love, I love it about him. It's one of my favorite things, his fearlessness and his toughness, but that's just not, it's not going to help him in in the NFL when he's just getting lit up by even bigger guys than than he was during his time at Ole Miss. And I mean, he was, he played banged up a lot this past season. His ankle got, tweaked in like October and he didn't you know he played through it for the most part and you know put, played in that in that sugar bowl obviously got injured in that one and that that was an unfortunate way for his college career to end but yeah I'm, I'm just concerned that that Corral's kind of got like the t- Taylor Heineke stuntman type of uh aesthetic going on and like I but he's even you know uh less compact than like Heineke's six foot but like a little bit heavier yeah yeah exactly um so yeah I don't, I don't want to like anything and I certainly hope you know he does well but I'm concerned for Corral falling out of the first three rounds like I don't think I don't see why he would go anywhere really like I, I mean fifth round is where I think a guy like him usually goes so we'll see you know if 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 Malik Willis is the next Josh Allen case then I would sooner guess Matt Corral is the next Brett Smith than like some other kind of like, like specifically I'm, I'm, I'm naming him not just a to name drop Wyoming quarterbacks on you, but uh, like <laughs> Brett Smith was a really good, too. yeah. Uh, Brett Smith was a really good college quarterback, and at the time, uh, I knew a lot less than I do now. And I, I was like, oh, he might be like a you know top forty pick or something. And a lot of NF, a lot of draft Twitter was hopeful for Brett Smith back then, but he measured in at like six two two oh four or something like that, and he didn't have the cannon arm, and he. Corral, I'll guess say, is probably stronger armed and certainly faster than Brett Smith was. But um, not having the NFL frame was really held against him and uh, turned out to be a big deal because I feel like he actually played in like the CFL or something and wasn't very good either. Mm. So um, 
Corral is is kind of just a prospect to me. I don't I don't see what's obviously better about him as a prospect than even a guy like Felipe Franks last year. And obviously they're total opposites in terms of build, but just I just mean to say like guy who's a totally good you know SEC starter whose calling card is athleticism who you can't project to even be an average passer in the NFL is like. If I'm going into that particular bin, I would rather have Franks in the sixth or whatever than Coral anytime before that. Okay. All right. So else, uh, good good to set the record straight on him. I like Coral more. Uh, I wish we could call him that. <laughs> and it, it makes sense. He's like a California kid by the beach, but um, we digress. Um, so beyond, beyond Corral, Coral, um, do you like Sam Howell at all? Is there anything that, that you think he could do that this coming week? And then I want to hear your thoughts on Carson Strong and maybe maybe someone who's a little bit more um, under, flying you under the radar right now. Yeah, so I guess I should have said Howell, I won't count out, but it's it's tough for me to see him working in the NFL. I feel like he really thrived on chaos a lot at North Carolina, even when he had that pretty loaded offense around him. And he was still good without those guys. I mean, if we're going to penalize Howell for having, you know, De'Ami Brown and Daz Newsom, Javante Williams, and Michael Carter, then I guess we also have to give him credit when he didn't for what he didn't when he didn't have those guys. And he was still a totally, totally good college quarterback. So uh, he's that at the very least. Like he was, he was a really great player for the for the Tar Heels. But t- when I watch him play. And maybe this is too flimsy of a basis to evaluate him, but I just feel like I'm watching like a worse version of Johnny Manziel at Texas a- uh, Texas A&M. And as much as Manziel pr- probably failed for you know his, his issues, personality wise, character wise, he also was not anywhere near the NFL level that he was at college. You know, in college he, he was you know killing Goliath daily, and then mm-hmm. in the NFL, I was like, sorry, you needed to. When the league gets bigger and faster, and and you don't have anything else to offset that, you just kind of you just kind of lose something. You just become a lesser relative player. Um, with Howell, I feel like I don't see as much speed. He seems like a little smaller than Menzel. Doesn't have probably as good of tools in any respect. Wasn't as productive. So I, I see him as like a, a worth like a justifiable uh, I don't know second round pick or something. And I know he might go in the first anyway. And you know, gotta give him give him a chance, I guess. But if he goes in the first round, I definitely worry about him being like, I don't know, Kay McNown category of quarterback or something where it's just like, hey, he was great in college, I guess, whatever. But, you know, it being short and not having a strong arm and not being truly fast, it's like that, that stuff tends to drag you down and you make, when you make the jump to the NFL. He kind of reminds me of like a lesser version of Baker Mayfield. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah. Uh, I always kind of thought like a, I think a little he's, he's bit probably more, a little more athletic, right? Like he's probably faster. I th- I think so. Um and and, and how a little though. bit a little bit bigger, but arm probably not as good, but um you know, like that that sort of kind of compact squat type of of quarterback yeah, yeah. That, that um that can whip it around pretty decently. So, uh that, they kind of remind me of each other and you know, if they, if that's what we're looking at, you know, four four years into Baker Mayfield's career, I don't think that he's going to be afforded the same opportunities that Mayfield was as, as the number one overall pick, uh, former Heisman Trophy winner. But I, I think that, that Howell could could end up being like a, a fringe, decent starter, but I, I'm not yeah. expecting a ton more than that from him necessarily. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so whereas I don't want to count out Howell, I think I do want to count out Pickett. And um, 
the, the absolute best case scenario for Pickett, in my opinion, is something like Jeff Garcia, basically, where you know, Garcia was a good quarterback or a viable starter for the 49ers anyway, but like they also had Terrell Owens there and um, I think they had some other decent players. I can't remember, but uh, JJ Stokes, was that a guy? <laughs> yeah, he was, he was like, he was picked in 95. I guess he might've been hung or he might've been hanging around that long, but uh, in any case, yeah, it's, it's uh, Garcia was undrafted out of San Jose state and played in the CFL before he got a shot in the NFL, but Kenny Pickett kind of ran that same circuit playing five years in uh, the, the NCAA. So he had four full years at Pittsburgh. Sorry, the first year was not a full year. He played like three games, and uh, they might have called that a red shirt even without COVID. I can't remember. But yeah, they, they, uh, he beat Miami the day after Thanksgiving in his first game, and I, I remember seeing that. And Miami was really good that year. They, they were fighting for a playoff spot, and it was like, dang, th- this kid might have some moxie. I, I like this. And then I went into the next year, and he was bad. And then the next year, yeah. bad. So, yeah, he was he was bad for three full seasons and I'm not, I'm not saying he was less than great or he was, he was just kind of up and down. I mean, he had two good games a year for three years and the two good games were always against like Akron or something, or just, you know, the bad ACC defense that year, whichever one it was. And it wasn't for a lack of uh, help, you know, like he had Maurice French was a good college receiver uh, especially the breakout, the six-year breakout for Pickett, he had a lot of help on that Pittsburgh offense. I mean, that, yeah, that the top award winner. Yeah, that receiver is really good. Um, and even is it so like that, that? This this most recent season, I know it's going to tempt people. They're going to be tempted to say, "Oh, it's just like Joe Burrow." Mm-hmm. Joe Burrow was non-indicative for a couple seasons, and then he had a decent season, and then he had the best season ever. He didn't have three bad seasons, and then the best mm-hmm. season ever. He and, and Pickett did not have the best season ever in his best season. So uh, there are magnitudes of difference for me. Um, the other thing is this this hands this hands detail with Kenny Pickett. That's not just gibberish. This concern that people raise, like that's a real concern. And it's it's a couple things. It's the smaller your hands are trying to hold a football, the lower the temperature gets, the worse everything gets. Like and and not just that rain too. It's like you have you have any kind of precipitation. It really helps to be able to wrap your hand around the ball because if you're trying to just make everything about grip strength, it's like things can negate your grip strength. Like the cold will make the ball harder and heavier, and the rain will reduce the amount of friction you can create with your strength. So like he can't just you know stress ball his way past this problem. Uh, he might be able to do that thing in China where they break people's legs and then space the bones apart and then they grow back like a half an inch taller. Maybe he could do that with his like pinky and his thumb and maybe that would (laughs) fix it. Uh, But anything else won't. And those first four years, he was fumbling constantly. So in addition to the, you worry about the throwing falling off, uh, especially when it gets colder and especially when there's precipitation, Uh, even the wind, you worry about how the ball comes out of your hand and the wind, it can kind of, throw off your velocity, even if you got a strong arm otherwise. Um, But the fumbles were always a problem with him. And in the NFL, even if let's just, let's just say Kenny Pickett is a average passer in the NFL, but I mean, I mean like top 20 NFL passing quarterback. Um, And he's a good runner at the very least. Like we, we can, we can assume that much with him. Like he's, he's not near Willis, Um, but Pickett, I don't know. He he should be able to run like uh, at least better than, um, 
you know, Zach Wilson or somebody like that. Like, he should be like a 400, 500 yard runner in the NFL and with, with decent efficiency. But I think if he plays a full season as starter, he will set the record for the most fumbles in an NFL season. Like he'll, especially with these 17 game seasons, like he's, he could fumble 20 times in a season. I don't know what the record is, but he can definitely do it. I'm skeptical that he'll play long enough to get to that point. But if he does start a whole year, 20 fumbles. Put it in the books. Yeah. So that, that obviously is, that's, that is one of those things that there's going to be like the initial pushback where it's like, Oh, you're just getting too hung up on the hand size. It's like, no, like it's a legitimate problem. Also, Joe Burrow didn't have eight and a half inch hands. Right, right. Yeah. He and he people said that he was on the smaller end and it was like nine and a quarter or something. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, pick it. Yeah. And, oh, did you, you see know. that thing? He was he was like refusing to get his hands measured at the senior bowl because they're like, yeah, I gotta do his stretch. <laughs> Maybe he's doing that Chinese uh bone breaking therapy. Or uh, the the lawyer from Always Sunny, um, who who put on the big hands in the courtroom, and then he oh, he went oh, to yeah, point and it went flying up. Nobody look! Nobody look! Uh, can you put your hands over my hands for this picture? <laughs> oh, that guy, all time character. Um, love that guy. Not what um, he did. I don't love what he did. Just no, love the character. No. He's yeah. very funny. Um. Any other quarterbacks you want to get to before we move on over to, to running oh, backs? Um, Carson Strong, I tend to skip him when we're talking about this stuff for fantasy because he's he might somehow find a way to have negative rushing yardage even in the NFL. Um, Can't move. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he, he's, he took some sacks. He's got like negative 150 every year in Nevada. He might be able to throw. I don't know. Like I'm much more open to Carson Strong being an NFL viable passer than Pickett, probably even Howell. Not much more than Howell, but more than Howell and much more than Pickett, uh, much more than Corral. So Carson Strong might be the best like pocket quarterback in this class. Uh, I'm open to it, but uh, he's one that I have trouble figuring out, too. Yeah, he I, I watched a couple of his games yesterday and I, I've been paying attention to him for a long time. He's been on my radar. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the the footwork, you know, I'm not a, a quarterback guru or, or anything like that. But, you know, it, his footwork, he just. He relies on his arm a lot because the footwork it gets real sloppy, but a lot of the time the arm is enough for, for the ball to get there. So it might not be the, the biggest concern. He might have one of the better arms uh, in this class, but that is still something that, you know, wh- whereas he can muscle a ball to the sideline against a, a mountain West corner, maybe that's going back the other way in the NFL. So that, that is something that, that I do have a little bit of reservations with, with him on and, I, maybe I'm just I'm just rooting for this to happen more more than anything else. But I want Bailey Zappi to to kind of oh. put himself in, into the conversation. The production absurd. Um, he, yeah, you know, starts his career at Houston Baptist, goes to basically Western Kentucky acquired um, the the Houston Baptist offense and system for, uh, for this past year, and it resulted in Zappi throwing the most touchdowns of all time uh, in, in a single season. So. He's not a tall guy. He's like, you know, six foot. I'm, I'm going to guess is what he's going to come in at a uh, little bit over 200 pounds, but he can, he can throw it and he knows what to do. I mean, there, there were times when I was watching him where he, you know, knew how to manipulate a defender with, with his eyes and then, you know, move the safety with his eyes and then, you know, deliver a really nice deep shot. So I'm keeping an eye on him as like kind of my sleeper guy that can uh, make some headway this, this next week. Yeah, I'm rooting for him. His arm does look pretty weak, and and therefore I'm worried that he might be another Fromm case. But 
if if you spread the field for him, I don't know. It's like his production was pretty crazy, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't want to count him out exactly. Yeah, so uh, the the we're Bailey Zappy uh, fans. Um, let's see here uh, before we move on over to running back. Got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we also got a message from our friends over at WinBet. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RoadWire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with the user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states as Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today. Make a qualifying deposit and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by state. Download WinBet now. It's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's Fantasy Podcast. All right, Mario, so let's move on over to the running backs. Um, I think it's pretty consensus that that Brees Hall and Ken- Kenneth Walker are, you know, in some combination, most people's top two uh, running backs in this Spiller class. With them? Say again? Do you have Spiller with them? Oh, yeah. I, get, Sp- I, I, I don't like Spiller quite as much as, as other people. I, I, I understand why people do like him, but, I mean, I didn't feel like he was even the best running back on his team this past mm-hmm. year. I'm a, I'm yeah, a huge so- guy. 
Yeah, he's one that I've had trouble figuring out because I've seen, like you said, I've seen some people who are like really high on him, and I, I don't quite see it, but I'm like, oh, maybe I missed something. Uh, I feel like Walker is pretty simple. Like he's, uh, there is a bit of a question for his pass catching, but I think it's important to note that it's uh, incomplete, like not applicable rather than a negative. Cause like you see some people saying that he's a bad pass catcher. He's tripping up some red flag for not catching enough passes at Michigan state, but he was a workhorse player and highly successful as a workhorse runner. If he had only been doing like 15 carries a game instead of 22, 23, and he still wasn't doing anything as a pass catcher, that's when I would worry. But he did everything that he physically could, everything more importantly that they asked of him. And in both the cases of Wake Forest and Michigan State, um, well, in Wake Forest, he might have had fewer receptions than that what's-his-name guy, the, the, the guy who ran ahead of him for a year. Um, but at Michigan State, he led the, the backfield in receptions. So in that case, it's pretty clear, like he did everything he was supposed to as a runner and there just wasn't much pass catching to do so that he didn't do it doesn't mean anything. And mm. it's, it's a big distinction from a case like Ronald Jones, Ronald Jones, every single year at USC had someone at running back catch more passes than him, even as a starter. So it would have been one thing if Kenneth Walker, uh, you know, caught 10 passes this year and some backup of his caught 20 uh, like Ronald Jones had guys like Stephen Carr catching more passes than him, even when he was, you know, running for all that yardage. So um, Walker does need to test well. Uh, if he's a slow running back, he, he isn't anything more than a rotational player in the NFL to me. But if he has the speed to turn corners and split safeties the same ways that he did at Michigan State, I'm pretty bought in at that point. Yeah, I agree. So he he definitely can can solidify himself. There, there's a lot on the line for for him. Um, for for sure, um, what is I haven't really heard your Brees Hall take. I, I don't think it is. It just something that you don't need to think too much about. It's pretty. Clear I just can't really do it. more right now because like he he checks the boxes for sure, big time for production, including as a pass catcher. And his frame is great for NFL starting running back. So he just needs to not like he he just needs to hit a test better than someone like Jeremy Hill, basically. And I'm fully on board with him as a three down player in the NFL. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's he's pretty cut and dry. Um, let's talk about Tyler Al- Algier. I think that he's someone that, that could certainly, you know, I, I think a couple of people out there have it, have a good feel on him and, and, you know, are expecting big things. But I don't think it's caught on, um, you know, kind of in, in terms of the consensus just yet. But I, I think that there's a chance after uh, this time a week from now or, or yeah, a week from today, Friday. Um, that, that he has put himself in that in that top five running back discussion in this class, if not better. Yeah, so I, I remember that post you showed me, people thinking he's going to run like a four six five or something. That's totally possible, and I don't know how fast he is. I, I'm waiting on the combine for a guy like him. But if he tests pretty well, if he, and by that I mean if he's like 220 pounds and he runs a four six four, that's not great. But A, if he has strong broad jump, you know, ideally a bit of a vertical agility drills. I'm willing to look past that if he's at, if he's over a certain weight. And if he is both over that weight and runs like a, you know, four, five, six or something like that and has the really good jumps, the broad jump, I'm, I'm pretty interested in for a player like him. Then I'm going to be pretty interested because his production was outrageous at BYU and he, mm-hmm. he was outrageous without Zach Wilson too. So it wasn't just like, Even better. He, yeah, he wasn't just looking, it wasn't like a, he wasn't like one of those uh, Nevada guys in the Colin Kaepernick offense, you know, like it was, it wasn't quite like that. It was like, he, uh, he just 
took over the offense when Zach Wilson left. So when a guy runs away from the defense as many times as he did, I'm I'm very interested. And uh, you know, he, granted, he he still needs to test a certain way. But even a guy like Legarrette Blunt, you know, like he he tested really badly, more or less, and he still was a big play runner in the NFL. Like before he was a goal line back at the end of his career, he was making big plays as a rookie with the Buccaneers, you know? So um, Algier could be that kind of guy where uh, people overlook him because they just write him off as like a, you know, too slow or just some kind of system product or something. But he, he really might just know how to run because he sure ran away from a lot of people at BYU. Yeah, I mean, notching, I think, over 20 rushing touchdowns this past year, like, that's no joke. That's- his rushing yardage was very uh, – his rushing average was very high, even with obscene touchdown frequency. And with, with that many touchdowns, it's like, imagine how many how, how many more yards he would have added if there wasn't, like, the end zone to end the play. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, keeping in a big eye out for him. Um, a couple of smaller backs that, that aren't – that don't profile as those three down guys, but, but have some pass catching ability that, that I'm interested to see how they do next week. That's James Cook and Jerry and Ely. Your thoughts on those guys. I'm not familiar with Ely yet. Uh, if Cook can measure in over 200 pounds and still test well, that would be huge for him because uh, as much as he didn't really produce all that much in college, he, he definitely produces a pass catcher and that much you can take for granted. And if he has a frame and athletic profile that's vaguely NFL viable, then it's pretty easy to say just like, okay, well, get him in a specialist role and we'll see what happens after that. And, and you have reason to believe he'll be a good player in that capacity at the very least. If he's only 190 and he doesn't test very, very well, then I get concerned. But the skill set as a pass catcher is definitely there. And, and I guess he, he could maybe give you more as like a split out kind of pass catcher than some of these other guys might be good pass catchers, but they probably can't run split out. Yeah. that uh, I mean, some of Georgia's most explosive plays this year came with, with Cook being split out. If you watch his game against Tennessee, um, he was kind of taking that game over on, on the Georgia offensive side, at least. Um, that, you know, that's when the offense started to, to really make a move in that, in that game. Um, he had the 67 yard run against Alabama as well, kind of ran out of gas at the end of that one, but, and you know, Bama's guys are pretty fast for their own part too, but uh, still picked up 67 on, on that run. So I think he's got explosiveness. I think he's got really good pass catching ability. Um, like you said, we, we need to get him, you know, over 200 pounds to, to really think that it's possible that he gets into the, uh, into the day two range, but otherwise, I'm expecting him to probably be like a fourth or fifth round guy at this stage. A deep sleeper I'm kind of interested in. I don't know if he got a combine invite, but Tristan Ebner at Baylor had a very weird career. Yeah, he'll he'll be there. Okay, so yeah, he had a very weird career, but he he was really good as a pass catcher. So it'll be kind of interesting to see if he gets uh, more of a look from the NFL than he did at Baylor. He'll, He'll have to test well for that to happen. Right, right. So, um, so keep an eye for him. I like Kevin Harris as well. Um, he didn't really play much th- this past year. had had a back issue that I, I think was just kind of a, a, a nagging problem for him. Forgive me. I don't know who this is. Uh, okay. He's uh, South Carolina's running back. I guess they have two because oh. it, they, they've got yeah. Saquandre White uh, in this combine as well. But two years ago, if you look at the 2020 numbers for Kevin Harris, really, really impressive. So um, he, he profiles as one of those like power backs in this class. Like that, there are a handful – of power backs that, that I like, whether it's Kevin Harris. Um, I think Hassan Haskins might, might profile as one of those. And I, I think uh, Zamir White 
um, another guy to, to look at if, if you're thinking just pure power back type of guys. But Kevin Harris listed at 5'10", 220. Um, in 2020, averaged 6.2 yards per carry over 185 carries. That's pretty significant workload. Had 15 touchdowns. Um, also caught 21 of 28 passes or uh, targets um, for 159 yards. So not I don't crazy. But. I don't like the Alabama one. That's the only Brian, that's Brian Robinson. Only, no. Yeah, I don't really like him. No, I'm, I I don't think Brian. I'm so like Brian AJ Robinson. Blue or something like that. Or uh, was it Alfred or Alfred? AJ? Alfred. Alfred. Yeah, Alfred Blue. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, not, not in on on Robinson. He's. I mean, he was fine. He, he's a bit. Overaged. He might play two games and be a backup in the NFL, but that's about it. I, I think so as well. But um, anything else on the running backs before we move on over to receivers? Uh, I hope Ronnie Rivers does well. That's that's. But uh, yeah, he's a tiny guy, probably not doing much. Yeah, but but I, I did always uh, like Rivers um, during his time at Fresno State. All right, so let's get to you know maybe the most important position for fantasy in in this class. That's receiver. So. You know, that, stop me if you've heard this one before, but we've got another great receiver class, of course. You know, we, we've just been spoiled over these last couple of years. I don't think that there's a Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle type necessarily that's going in the top 10, but I think that there's still probably five viable first-round receivers. Yeah, last year's class was insane at the top, especially Chase and Waddle. Like, I think we're both huge Waddle fans. We we, we consider him very rare talent. Um I think you can be very high on Traylon Burks, Drake, a bunch of these guys and still say like, they're not quite, you know, certainly not approaching chase and probably not approaching Waddle either. But Burks is really interesting. Cause he could, he compares very conventionally to AJ Brown. Uh, like the, in terms of just being very high level producer in college and having the, you know, pushing two thirty, running under a four or five. If you're that kind of athlete and you produce the way he did in college, you don't really even need to think about it that much at a certain point. Like it would be great if he's also an otherworldly route runner. Sure. But he probably doesn't need to be, he wins mm-hmm. by running away from people who can't tackle him. And that's if he tests a certain way, as long as he tests a certain way, that's just kind of an easy evaluation for me. Uh, Drake London could conventionally project very similarly to Mike Evans. He's definitely got the production down the frame, but what we don't know is can London run like that? Cause Evans was not expected to be particularly athletic back at his combine. It was kind of a surprise how, how great he did. He ran a four five three at something like 230 pounds. That's really hard to do. London is also not that heavy. Like he's, he might, if he bulks up, he might come in at like 220, 225 or something. And if he mm-hmm. does, he'll still be hard pressed to run a four five three. But if he does, I mean, London's production is just so automatic. Like he, he's, he's, it's it's something that you miss if you only look at the volume. But if you look at how old he was and also like he, he was distracted with basketball early in his career, too. And he yep. still just kind of like easily got onto the field. So um, he probably has a lot of skill that we that isn't necessarily easy to see on tape, because if he didn't um, and especially if he's not a standout athlete, too, uh, if he didn't have rare skill as a receiver, the way he produced would just have not have been possible. It w- it's out of the question. You can't do it. You can't just make a guy who isn't a standout talent produce like that. So very high on those two and very high on Jamison Williams. Like I've thought about it more and uh, talked to some people and like, they think he runs like a four, three, five at worst when healthy. So for me, yeah. like, okay, you produce like that. You run a four, three, five, shut the book. It's over. He, yeah, he's, he's crazy. I mean, such a game breaker. 
I don't think anyone really foresaw uh, his 2021 coming. Um, I mean, you know, a, a lot of people were, were trying to um, really say that, like, John Mechie's the next great Alabama receiver. And, and you know, people, uh, maybe myself included, had like a, a couple of their freshmen um, who we saw in the national championship game after Williams and Mechie were, were hurt. Um, I thought that they were going to be better going in um, than Jameson Williams, you know, because he was just, you know, some guy that couldn't get on the field at Ohio State. Not that you can really hold that against him, given what it's Ohio kind State of, uh, had. Yeah, it's kind of like the Auburn running backs 10 years ago or whatever, where it's like we get uh, Brandon Jacobs transfers to Southern Illinois. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you have Carnell Williams and uh, Ronnie Brown and everything. But, yeah, the Ohio State having Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Jameson Williams and whoever else they had. Uh, Jackson years. Smith and Jigba. Yeah, man. Like, it's it's a case where you say, like, okay, clearly the fact that he didn't earn playing time doesn't matter because, like, basically yeah. no one on earth could have. Yep. So so that's not not a, not a mark against him. I, I guess the, the only real question is, you know, how much does he get penalized for having torn his, his ACL um, in the in January? Because that, that's – Brutal timing. Uh, so if, as bad as it, it gets. if he were in London's position, I'd be a lot more concerned by that. I mean, if if uh, if Jameson Williams were a six four two ten guy who didn't separate a lot in college, like Drake London didn't really separate. I don't care. I think he if anything, he thrives. It's like if you try to if you try to lock him up, you just lose. So I think that suits London. And if London tests poorly, like if we had a, a non applicable grade for uh, London's 40 time. That that would be more concerning to me, but uh, we have the four three five kind of reports around Jameson Williams. Like we have re- we have reason to believe they already know how fast he is, and if that's not a question, then I don't know what question there is anymore. Like there's the possibility, I guess, that his knee has like the worst luck of all time, but ACL tears don't matter that much, and especially in a player his age, it doesn't matter that much. We for all we know, he could be ready for week one. I mean, I don't I don't know if it's a it's, it's not a slam dunk, I guess, or anything like close, but you should draft him wherever he would have normally gone, in my opinion. And, and I, I think he's going to be like a top 20 pick, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's top 15. So but I, I was talking to, to you and, and some other people, um, you know, in a football chat, and, and um, I saw him get mocked to the Chargers at 17. I would That'd love be sick. that fit. Because yeah, we be talked sick. about it all season long, they they had no speed this past year. They could have they Tyron Johnson really would have been productive for them this year, even if he just ran post routes and fly routes and literally not a third kind of route. Because a couple of those times, eventually the defense would have just left one guy on him, and they can't run as fast as him, and then it's a wrap. But Jalen mm-hmm. Guyton gets locked up all the time, and he for some reason can't get open, even though he knows the playbook so great. It's like whatever. Uh, James Williams, in any case they'd need to put him on the field if they drafted him and it would be impossible to screw it up from that point. Yeah. So um, that, uh, that would be awesome. Uh, but we'll keep an eye there. Obviously he's not really going to be able to, to work out this coming week, but um, basically yeah. Jameson Williams might be what people wanted Henry Ruggs to be. Not just that, you know, he, he would be Henry Ruggs without the psychotic off field behavior. I mean, like he could be kind of that uh, close to that fast and an actually like, standout skill route runner everything like he, he could be your big big time player like i don't know like maybe like a tory holt kind of player i don't know what the best kind of comparison would be like I, i'm really really high on james Williams. he's he's incredible i mean i think there, there's good chances that national championship game might go a little bit differently if if he doesn't get hurt because he got hurt on a play where he torched the georgia defense yeah i made the georgia corners who are 
pretty good uh look not that fast you know yeah yeah just run, running past keely ringo and um darian kendrick um but we digress um any other receivers that that you're looking for uh for from this group like it i, I feel like you have you've had a take brewing uh you've had it in the hangar you're tinkering with it what's the deal with your, your ohio state receivers yeah, I think they're both good, and I, I kind of expect both to go in the first round. But basically, Garrett Wilson right now I think is emerging as the consensus wide receiver one for most draft media. And that's crazy to me. Uh, I think he's good, but I, I don't think there's any basis to rank him alongside Burks in London. And, uh, of course, Williams I have ranked third, too. I think Chris Olave is going to be my wide receiver four, and uh, Garrett Wilson my wide receiver five going into the combine now. Uh, if Olave tests poorly and, and Wilson, as expected, tears it up, like we, we expect Wilson to tear up the combine, you know, whatever, whatever happens, that that's that's like almost a given. Um, the, the issue for me is that people are specifically ranking him ahead of Chris Olave and they're ranking him ahead of Chris Olave while ranking Olave like wide receiver four through six or something like that. And at the very least, I feel like if Garrett Wilson's the wide receiver one, then there's a really good case for Olave as the wide receiver two uh, because he was the better player at Ohio state. And I know people don't agree with that. The, the closest you could come to saying Garrett Wilson was a better player than Olave at Ohio state is to say like he was in the last like six games of 2021, which I don't six games when there are 36 to look at. So, uh, or, you know, 30 anyway, given COVID and whatever the hell else. Um, so Chris Olave was the number one receiver for Ohio state as a true sophomore when he would have just turned probably like 19. And at the time, they had the super seniors, KJ Hill. They had Benjamin Victor. They were both super seniors. And then the fourth receiver that year was Garrett Wilson. And Garrett Wilson did a good job that year, but he didn't run ahead of any of those three. Chris Olave ran ahead of the seniors. And Garrett Wilson, I, I think a lot of people confuse themselves by looking at uh, you know early entrance status for Garrett Wilson. They give, they give him in their models a bonus for being an early entrant, and they penalize Olave for being a fourth-year player and not declaring early. But Olave is only three weeks older than Garrett Wilson. Normally when you're talking different classes like that, you're talking a year, a year plus at the very least, like six months, three weeks is not different to me that they're the same age basically. Yeah. So if Chris Olave is the same age and he's running as the wide receiver one, while Garrett Wilson is running as the wide receiver four, that to me means Garrett Wilson needs to do quite a bit better from that point than Olave to get the benefit of the doubt of being better than Olave. And I think in the meantime, a lot of the people who are so high on Wilson are just getting caught up in yards after the catch and highlight tapes basically. And you watch Olave, he just dusts corners and then he catches the ball at the sideline or in the end zone or wherever. And he doesn't really do cool after the catch Kadarius Tony stuff. And I think people are holding that against him when they shouldn't, you shouldn't hold a, hold it against a player when they dominate and make it look easy. And that's not to say you should penalize Wilson, but it's not a basis for putting Wilson ahead of him. And I think that's very specifically what's happening with a lot of people that and Olave having just like a somewhat quieter senior season than the yeah. prior two years, but he's been very great. He's been great in all of the last three years and he scores touchdowns at a rapid rate. I, I think Olave, as long as he tests well is, I don't know. I, I, I think he's better than Rashad Bateman last year. And uh, I think that it's almost a little bit like Justin Jefferson with Olave where people look at how mm. easily he's putting up these big numbers and then say like, Oh, he must be like slow or like, uh, he's not, he's just not electrifying. It's like, maybe it's just easy for him. It could, I mean, he, he is like a, 
really smooth player out there. So, so yeah, he doesn't have the the kind of crazy highlights like a Wilson. Uh, Wilson, I think, was a, was a bigger recruit too. I think he was like a five. He's really good person. though. I want to make clear. I'm, I'm not trying to bash Wilson, but to me, he's more like a Brandon Ayuk kind of player, where he's he's clearly being effective because he's such a good athlete, and maybe he can sharpen some of his game, you know, sharpen his skill set to to catch up with Olave. But to me. If Olave is like, you know, 90% of the athlete that Garrett Wilson is, then Olave is the better player, even with Wilson still being obviously very good himself. Okay. All right. That, that's a good case uh, being made there. Any other receivers uh, that you wanted to touch on before we get out of here? Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of good ones. Uh, I, th- I think it, just to race through the list of my favorites, I'm, I'm curious to see uh, the other guys in, in this list. George Pickens. He can he could jump into my top tier actually. Uh, there's George Pickens, Jahan Dotson at Penn State. I think there's a good chance he's better than KJ Hamler, even though no one cares as much because he's he's not as specifically fast. Uh, Justin Ross at Clemson. Uh, trying to remember if there's anybody else. Um, I'm sure. Oh, David Bell. I, I would like to see test pretty well, and if he does, he's he's also in that conversation. But yeah, there's there's a there's like nine players that I feel like could be first round picks at receiver this year. And then, then there's only like three or four guys that I can confidently predict in day two otherwise. So it, it, there might be a bit of a cliff after that really strong initial group. Yeah, I, I think uh, Sky Moore from Western Michigan seems to be yeah. getting a good, good I like him and Khalil Shakir. Yes, like him. Uh, there's Romeo Dobbs. There's um, Jalen Tolbert. So there, there's a, you know. I even like number. the Coastal Carolina one too, the, the J- Javon Hiley. Haley. Haley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's interesting players and the combine's so helpful for helping us figure out where specifically and what order they go because you know right now we're just like oh these guys were all really good college players and knowing who's actually what weight and how fast and how how much they jump everything like that will be helpful in, in solidifying you know the final rankings. I hope Wandale Robinson does well. Oh, I love him. I meant to mention him. I re- I think I am super super convinced about him. I uh, I don't want to say like first rounder, but I. I really think we shouldn't rule it out because if he tests really well, what, what could you possibly criticize him for? So productive. I think maybe the size that would, that'd be about it, but right. He's listed at five eleven, So as long as he's not like five, nine and you know, one sixty, I'm totally on board. Yeah. And I, I don't think he's that he's played some running back. So he definitely has like a, a more dense build. Um, I wish that Jareth Stearns was bigger, but but alas, him and Calvin Austin are a little tiny bit interesting. But I actually I'm not on the Austin bandwagon. I, that started up a little bit during Shrine Week, and I just don't see it. I mean, he, he's interesting, but I, I don't see anything with him that like Jakeem Grant didn't do at Texas Tech. You know? Yeah, it, it, Grant Grant's still you know in the NFL, but you know he, he's not a guy that you're you're seeing catch a lot of the targets every single week. That type right. of thing. Um, that's going to round it out. Uh, next week we'll be given some updates as the combine workouts are progressing. So look forward to that one, but that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Rotowire fantasy football podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet from RF Week. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.